HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons, third-generation cure masters producing the country's best dry-cured and aged hams, bacon, and sausage. For more information, visit surreyfarms.com. This is Mitchell Davis, host of Taste Matters. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live, actually at 12 this time. 12 o'clock. I was here at 12. Whoa! On the Heritage Radio Network in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Call in your questions live to 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. Joined, as usual, with Nastasha, the Hammer Lopez. How are you? Good. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Yeah? Jack? I'm doing great. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, We're going to, well, it's planned. We're going to have a special guest caller. After the break, Nils Norin, formerly of the French Culinary Institute, now heading up uh, Marcus Samuelson's restaurant group. And we'll ask him how many restaurants he's opened this week. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, whenever you're like, oh, I'm, you know, I actually, well, we used to just do fake Austrian, so I can't really imitate the actual Nils accent, so I won't even try. But anywho, he's like, every time you call him, he's like, yeah, I'm headed off to somewhere crazy to open, like, 13 restaurants. Mm-hmm. I'll be back in, like, a month. Right? That's true. Yeah. I think... That he he and you were guests together the first time you came on Heritage on that, Patrick's show, like years and years ago. That is entirely possible. Yeah. That is, that is I mean, I'm not going to say uh, plus or minus whether that's the case, but he, he's going to come on actually to talk to us about bone marrow to answer Justin's pressing questions on bone marrow. Because you know what? I've, uh, I, I used to like, yeah, I'll talk about it a little bit now. I, you know, I've cooked plenty of bone marrow in my life, but it's always just been kind of home style in Asabuco. You know, you like mm-hmm. Asabuco, right, Stas? Mm-hmm. Finally, something we like together. Ooh. Jesus. Asabu- you know, Asabuco, when I was a kid, was cheap. Mm-hmm. It wasn't expensive back in the day. So anyways, uh, I used to cook it anyway, and I'd take out the bone marrow and put it on my risotto. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's about the extent. I've never, I've never cooked it restaurant style. So, uh, you know, for service. So anyway, so Nils is going to come on because the man is... Uh, Cooked more bone marrow than uh, I care to eat. Okay, so uh, let's answer some other questions. By the way, Dave uh, Kleiman had a question a long time ago. He is at I am fractal on the uh, on the Twitter, and he says, uh, "Dear at cooking issues, reminding uh, reminding you to talk about infusing clams slash oysters." And then he says sous vide tricks, but I don't really know any sous vide. Oh, flavor tricks, I know. Sous vide tricks, I don't know for for oysters. You know any sous vide tricks for oysters? No. no I mean, I mean, I'm sure that like. Uh, I believe the Rokas have like a razor clam recipe, I think. I'm sure, but although you know what, like, you know, who's a really good low temperature recipe is the modernist cuisine recipe for gooey duck. For those of you that have never had the gooey duck before, mm, I mean, for those of you that don't know what gooey duck looks like, yeah, I feel like Stas will hate this. I mean, do you like gooey duck, Stas? I don't think I've ever. Oh, I've had it at Mirbold's thing. It's spe- it's spelled geo duck. For those of you that yeah. don't, so who the hell knows why it's pronounced gooey duck? And um, uh. What's his name? Yule Gibbons in Stalking the Blue-Eyed Scallop, which is a classic of foraging, by the way. Uh, he, you know, he does Stalking the Wild Asparagus, Stalking the Blue-Eyed Scallop, a couple of other books. Anywho, like, he talks about going to get it like, at the super low, low tide, like running out on the, on the Pacific coast. and get it. I, don't, I don't know whether it's true or false, but he, you know, he has a, a, an article on it. Anywho, it is um, – let's just say it's suggestive as, a, as an animal. Am I right? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's imagine you took uh, like uh, like a, a steamer's shells, inflated them huge, then spread them open, and then and then went on the set of a porn movie with it and used it <laughs> used it as a some sort of anyway. It's it's a horrific sight, and even more so when you prepare it because you have to peel the outer skin off, Ugh. which is possibly the most suggestive thing I've ever done in a kitchen. Like hands down, you know, taking the skin off of a off of a gooey duck outside <laughs> is like banana rams. But uh, so then it's it's very tough that you know that siphon we'll call it is very tough. And so you know one of the things you can do is just slice it really really thin on a bias and and sauce it and then eat it like that. It's got kind of a nice crunch to it. Uh, or or but Nathan and uh, Chris and uh, you know uh, Maxime these guys in the modernist cuisine I don't really know whose recipe it was they put it in a in a in a CVAP and cooked it very quickly very low and it was the most tender gooey duck I've ever had in my life it's delicious you had it mm-hmm. you liked it right yeah, so that's good. I've only had it like crudo I think yeah crudo where it's kind of crunchy it's yeah. nice but anyways so on to flavor infusion so here's a wait really quick I just have to add this the Evergreen State College in Olympia Washington yeah. Their school mascots, the gooey duck. You're lying to I'm me. I'm not lying to you. I'll show you. I'll show you over the break. It's Who the weird. hell would do that? They call it Speedy the, the gooey duck. Oh, well, I'm sorry that he's so Speedy. speedy. The gooey duck. Yeah, I'm say, yeah, Speedy. That's what she said. Anyway, yeah. what college? Uh, it's it's a Evergreen State College. And they couldn't have chosen like something out of their like amazing temperate rainforest up there. They had to choose the gooey duck. There's a gooey duck fight song. There's, uh-huh. I'm not kidding. There's a whole yeah. How does the mascot look? Like like a gooey duck. Well, what direction is the siphon pointed? Up. Oh Jesus, God! <laughs> How, like what? What? Kind of asexual dean and or president of the university allowed this to happen. Either that or what kind of just nut job. If that's what the kids want, if that's what the kids want, gooey duck it is. You'll have to live with it, kids. I don't. I don't go to the football games. You know what I mean? Is That's got to be how it happened. Oh, man. This can't be real. The fight song lyrics. I don't even know if I can All right, Jack. Yeah, you give me yeah. some of your musician skills. Give me the fight song. I'm not, not going to sing it, but I'll say I can't even do it. <laughs> do it. It, it's got to be family oriented. It's a go, college fight song. Go, gooey ducks, go through the mud and the sand. Let's go. Siphon high, squirt it out, swivel all about, let it all hang out. Oh, this is real. Oh my, Washington State. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Sorry. That is horrific. It's bad. It's terrible. Oh my God. You you have defiled. Washington. What is it? Washington. What is it? Washington State. Washington State. Evergreen State College. Evergreen State College. You have defiled a delicious animal with your innuendo. Anyways, uh, so on to flavoring oysters. Actually, the by the way, I'm just going to say this up front. Uh, This is news to Nastasha as well as myself because I just thought of it just now. Uh, Flavoring oysters using uh, flavored uh, seawater analogs was the very very first post on cookingissues.com. It was, uh, in fact, I came up with that trick, and then I'm like, we should have a blog to write this stuff down. So it's the very, very first post on the cooking issues. And you know what I realized, Stas, just now? Mm -hmm. And I'll talk about a second thing, but it's like, um, I'm never going to have the time again in my life to write cooking issue style posts. Mm -hmm. It's just not going to happen. How many times have I said I want to try and do it? And I can't because... All those posts are like two and three thousand words, right? And more sometimes, four or five thousand. And they're all like, I, you know, we had to do extensive research. And really, I was only capable of doing that when my job was to come up with that kind of stuff at the French Culinary Institute. So, you know, nowadays I don't really have the time to um, to devote to just writing that length of, even if I were to come up with the idea, writing that length of dialogue on stuff. So I shouldn't pretend that I am. We should just close cooking issues, like archive it, mm-hmm. never pretend that it's going to go live again. It was what it was, mm-hmm. and, you know, we have the content. It's there. The content will stay up. And then if ever, you know, I decide to have some sort of online presence other than the radio show and uh, and Twitter, then we'll do some some new concepts, some new new format, because we won't be able to do the cooking issues, and rather than change what that was – just kind of leave it as a, a document. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Sounds good. So, R.I.P. Oh. Cooking Issues blog. 
Well, Paul can Paul can continue it, but I think like if Paul Paul Adams, by the way, who's uh, uh, they are a good friend who is the uh, I guess he's the head like like chief online editor. I don't know what his title is at know. Popular Science. He runs he runs their web presence fundamentally, and uh, he's a really good guy. You know, maybe we'll do something someday. You know, with with, uh, with Paul because he, he's a good guy. But I think we should change the format. You know, something less, something more spontaneous, less. Less. We tried that. It didn't work. No, I mean not as cooking issues. Just oh. like you know, just like like a random thoughts thing that anyone that's working with us can put stuff up or something like this. Something I don't need to devote. I mean, it's, it's whatever. Anyway, I think we should just have it be what it was, and that's it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cooking issues lives on in the radio show, Jack. Did you know that? Yeah. Exactly. Okay, so back to oysters. It was the very first post uh, on uh, – oh, that used to be my iPad. It was the very first post on uh, cooking issues, and the concept was this. I read uh, somewhere that oysters don't uh, – I was reading about the physiology of oysters because that's the kind of crap I do. And uh, you know, it, it came to my attention that oysters won't feed in a refrigerator. It's just too cold. You need to be in a uh, kind of a mid-range uh, temperature for it to feed, but you also don't want it to feed – over, I forget what the number is. I'm going to make it up. Let's somewhere in the 60s, 50s or 60s, because then you start having uh, problems of growing vibrio toxin, right? So it's this middle line thing. And then I realized, well, look, look, if I can get oysters to feed at a temperature that's just above refrigeration temperature, I can maintain that temperature with, a, with, with uh, either a circulator or just a standing bath. And it turns out you don't need the circulator, but you can maintain it, right? And then I was like, well, what do they feed on? They feed on seawater, so I can get aquarium salt because at the time I had a, uh, a saltwater aquarium, and I had a bunch of aquarium salt. And you could just mix up. You could take whatever you want, and the, the thing we settled on was carrots and cardamom, like carrot juice and cardamom. Uh, and I, you have to put it through a very fine filter because if you clog – if you clog an oyster's uh, gills with particles, and it's a small particle size, it's some, some, I forget exactly what it is, but it's somewhere in the range of 10 microns, 10, 15 microns, something like this. And a Vitaprep's not going to get anything below about 20 microns in that range. I don't know what a Champion Sieve's juicer plate is at, but anyway, we, I have a rotor stator homogenizer, so I use that to get the particle size down really low. You could probably just do a, a decent filter on it and get it through. Then added uh, aquarium salt to get it up to the base salinity that I wanted, and then you place the oysters in it and you let them feed for a couple of hours and then uh, you ice them down again. You don't want to uh, keep them in the bath for too long because even it's possible, and I spoke to an oyster physiologist about this, it's possible for the oyster to grow bacteria that are not harmful to it. So the oyster will still appear healthy but could be harmful to you. For instance, you know, Vibrio, but that's not going to grow in the conditions that, that we that we have here. Anyways, so uh, so we chose that, and we did it also with clams. Uh, we did – what did we do, Stas? Bacon, onion or something like that. We did like a bacon, onion, and clams. And uh, once you practice, you practice a bunch, you can get to the point where like 75% of your oysters are eating the stuff. Uh, and you want to spread them out in a layer, and you don't want to disturb them because if you disturb them, they shut up. Like like a clam or an oyster does, yeah. That's what they that's what they do. And then what you do is you wash them off, right? And then you pack them on ice. And then when you shuck them, they're bright orange on the inside, which is awesome. And a couple of other people have tried this. I don't know if anyone's ever done it for service in a restaurant, but it was like kind of my first uh, trick. Not my first trick, cooking trick, obviously, but the first one we wrote up on the blog. So you can go look at it on the cooking issues, which is now uh, archived. Yeah. So anything good happening this week, Stas? Um. Are we doing anything huge? No. I feel like we did a bunch of stuff last week. Was I away last week? Did I go somewhere last week? No, we were here. We did some event. I know we did some event. I can't remember, though. We, uh, we got some... I, I don't want to say this, but I feel like I have to or people are going to start getting pretzel. Oh, I think it was all about that. All, all Sears all, all, all the time? All oh, no, because last week is the week I got back from uh, Tales, right? I got back on the Sunday or the Saturday, and then last week... I feel, I feel like we had a big event. We always have, like, it's not like, whatever. We can't have a week without having yeah, a big event. Yeah, you came back from Tales. Yeah, anyway, my point is is that uh, we got word from our factory that they will complete the production. Now, I'm not guaranteeing this. This is what they say. Complete production on? The 15th of August. Of August, and we're shipping by air, so it's going to get here super fast. Well, you had your book party last week. Oh, yes. Oh, that's true. My book, uh, by the way, uh, I've seen the, the color stuff. They're being printed in China, and I should have advanced color copies in, uh, in like a month. It yeah. arrives in October and then sells in November. Should be fun, right? Well, not really. No, nothing's fun. 
That's exciting. It's exciting. I'll give you exciting. I hear croissant being eaten. Jack is a croissant. Now you know what it's like, Stas, to have uh, you sitting there and doing stuff. Yeah. Guilty as croissanted. <laughs> like, uh, so Stas, what are your thoughts on croissant? I like chocolate filled croissants. That's it. You don't like a regular no. croissant? Mm-mm. What? I don't know. What, we, what do you have against it's flaky? It's like biscuits and all that. It's just plain. Uh, it's what? Plain. Plain. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might actually be the first person I've ever met that doesn't like a regular croissant. And, Chocolate filled. And P.S. P.S. Nothing like a biscuit. If, if your croissant yeah, if your croissant is like a biscuit. No, just like the white flaky thing, you know. So how do you work with me if you don't like white flaky things? <laughs> <laughs> Boom. No, Burn. Burn. Uh, okay. So we got some questions in uh, from Sam, whose questions we asked, uh, answered some of last week. Uh, can you run through any tips for excellent sautéed vegetables? What, what kind of sautéed vegetables do you like? Most. Most? zucchini. I was about to say, first tip, don't try to sauté zucchini. Boom! Because that stuff sucks! If you want to, like... <laughs> The, the best way to cook zucchini is to not cook it at all. Throw it out. Yeah, the uh, yeah, that's that's my favorite cooking no, technique for zucchini. Zucchini, I think if you hollow it out, keep it whole, hollow it out, and stuff it with meat, ground beef. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. And then you roast it. Yeah. You don't sauté that no. sucker. You roast it. You roast it. That sounds good. Mm-hmm. All right. Another way you can do it is if you uh, like like dehydrate that thing so that the water's out of it. Like cut it thin, par dehydrate that sucker. Uh, but then if you soak – if you saute it in too much oil, suck, it's going to absorb oil like a spiznunge and then it's going to suck. You know what I mean? So you have to like uh, you cr- crush it. You know what? I'll talk saute because I know Nils is going to go crazy on saute vegetables. So I'll save saute vegetables when we're talking to Nils about the, uh, about the bone marrow because that will be fun to engage him on some saute vegetable stuff. Also, people have different things like uh, another one of the cooking issues posts like sautéing mushrooms, right? Everyone like the old sort of, you know, uh, I forget who it was, whether it was Robuchon or one of those guys, uh, Gagnier, one of those dudes, one of those fancy, famous French dudes was like, the ultimate would be to sauté a single mushroom at a time, right? Because everyone's like, everyone was like, you know, look, if you sauté the, the mushrooms, they're going to sweat and they're not going to get a, a nice uh, crust. Bullcrap. That's crap. What you want to do is you want to swamp those mushrooms when you're cooking them so that they get rid of their water and they're boiling the water out, getting rid of the water and not absorbing oil. If you saute mushrooms wide open in a pan, they get rid of uh, the water, sure, but then they're still relatively porous from the water expelling when they start drying out and they soak up a lot more oil. Not that soaking up oil is bad, but most people don't want like a greasy a greasy mushroom sponge. Do you want a greasy mushroom sponge? Mm-mm. No, you don't. So uh, what you do, you know, there is you sauté them in a huge in a huge amounts. They boil off all the water, and then after they start getting down to the bottom, then they can really color up without getting rid of any water at all and without absorbing that much oil because they've already densified. Which is another trick. Vegetables that are porous that you don't want to absorb too much oil, right? You want to get them fairly pre-densified before you do your sauté on them. Because otherwise, they're going to absorb oil as you as you uh, sauté them. But we'll talk to we'll talk more with uh, with Nils as he comes in. Your second question, though, is uh, interesting because it's about uh, something that Stas hates, and then something that both Stas and I hate, and I hope all of you hate as well. Uh, are beets not the tilapia of the vegetable world? Uh, how? Uh, what am I doing wrong, or what's a good cooking method for for beets? And uh, Stas, what are your thoughts on the beets? I don't like them. You know that. I, I do. Dave uh, does not really like them. That's the only time I haven't seen you finish an entire... I'm not going to call out whose beats they were. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, because that's not what's important here. a certain restaurant I did have a... Served, I did have a I, say the way that they were served, though. It was like... Pull it out of the ground, right? Yeah. Wash it off. Yeah. And Ugh. Oven for like 15 minutes. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then like... Ugh. And then like quarters. Yeah. Not a small beet. Big. Stas, were they beets the size of like a uh, like a supermarket radish? No. 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 It was no. like a like a, a large one of those large plastic baseballs, like, like a wiffle ball. Like a wiffle, yeah. It was like in yeah. quarter wiffle balls, quarter wiffle balls. No salt. No salt. No salt. Oh my god. And uh, mm. let me just say that it was not good. <laughs> I mean, me, I've never seen you not finish it. I was like, man. Well, here's the weird thing, because beets for me are like beets for me. Like I can deal with a crunchy beet, 
and an al dente beat, but like soft on the outside and hard on the inside with that dirt flavor, which is what we're about to talk about, right? So the problem with beats have several problems, but the main problem is that uh, dirt, that dirt earth, dirt earth flavor. Actually, I like beets. I like pickled beets. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I like a fully roasted beet. And uh, I like uh, like apples soaked in beet juice. You know those red old steakhouse apples? Jack, you know what I'm talking about? The yeah. old Yeah, good, right? Anyways, uh, I like all that stuff. Um, prefer, you know, all the pastry chefs prefer cane sugar. Did you know that? No. They say that the beet sugar, whatever, however they produce it, I don't know whether it's true or false, but they say that it's not as good for candy making. Could be uh, horse crap. Probably is. Anyway, uh, but that's not what we're talking about. So uh, the thing in beets that is probably off-putting to you, other than the fact that it stains your hands if you're using the red ones, it's a horrible stain your hands, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not as bad as turmeric. Mm-hmm. Which is I, I, I made that last week at the house, and I stained some stuff. And my, you know, I was, Jen was like, my wife was like, uh, "You weren't kidding. You stained our, you stained the cutting board." I was like, "Yes, I did." I was like, I, "And whatever," and I did it at. I told, did I talk about that already? I did the turmeric drink at the Monteleone at the Tales of the Cocktail because all that room at the Monteleone was a rental. Did we talk about me almost getting arrested at the Monteleone? No. Well, if we have time, we'll talk about me almost getting arrested at the Monteleone. Okay, anyway, the chemical in beets is uh, geosmin. It's the same chemical, which is apt why you say it, that grows in tilapia or that's present in tilapia that makes it taste muddy and some catfish. However, in, uh, when it comes in fish, it's the product of uh, bacteria that the uh, – it's a, it's a bacterial byproduct that they, that they eat produced by, uh, well, by bacteria. Beets, it was not known until very recently whether or not beets produce their own geosmin or whether or not uh, – or is it geosmin or geosmin? Who cares? Uh, you guys know I can't pronounce anything. It wasn't known until recently whether beets produce it on their own or whether there's bacteria that grow around beets that's causing it to have that flavor. But uh, Lou uh, et al. in 2003 in the paper Biosynthetic Origin of Geosmin in Red Beets proved that uh, it is produced endogenously, meaning that the beets actually produce their own geosmin. And here is the first clue for you on how to make beets not suck so dang hard. The geosmin concentration is six times higher in the peel than in the pulp. So when you get rid of the skins, whether you well, if you're roasting, you're probably going to do it afterwards, right? But when you're getting rid of the skins, get rid of the skins. Don't just like Take a little bit of layer off the outside. Get rid of enough skin to get rid of most of the jasmine. Here's another thing. Do you think there's a reason why beets are often served in acidic sauces or in acidic uh, pickles or in things like that? Do you ever think about that, Stas? The reason is is because jasmine breaks down in the presence of acidity, and which is why you add it to, to tilapia. Well, it's just add some flavor to that muddy piece of crap trash. But, uh, but anyway, so jasmine. In, in, if it's heated in acidity, will break down. So acidity is going to help if you want to do like a post finish with uh, like a sauté in a uh, in an acid kind of environment. That should help, and also the acidity probably helps cover up the smell of that stanky earth thing. But the best beat I've ever had was made by a friend of mine, Mike Sheeran, who uh, is a chef out in Chicago. And I don't know whether it was originally his idea or an ideas and food idea or whatever, but he par dehydrated the beets then sauced them, and then uh, roasted them. And it had a kind of a chewy, meaty texture, and that was the best damn beet I've ever had in my life. That's the first time in my life. I, I like beets fine, you know, when they're prepared properly, not like quarter wiffle balls, you know, like flash, flash-cooked quarter wiffle balls. But, like, this was the first time uh, where someone served me, like, a beet salad, and I was like, holy crap, I could eat as much of this beet salad as they have in the house. You, still waiting for that moment for me. Yeah, but you know, how, you know like like you know, you have to have eaten with me, but like I get in these modes where like I go ape ape listic on things like, you know, I've been known to eat like I don't know, like 20 grapefruit. You know what I mean? It's like if I'm like, man, this grapefruit is delicious, like I can just keep eating it. Uh, and I felt that way about this beet salad. Anyway, uh, and one more quick question he has, and then we're going to go to the uh, We do have a caller. We have a caller? Yes. All right, caller, you are on the air. Hello, Dave. How are you? Doing well. How are you doing? Doing all right. This is Steve from Indiana uh, and Indianapolis. And I had a few quick questions for you about uh, technology. Sure. Uh, one being the VacMaster VP112. Uh, do you think it's worthwhile to, to purchase that if I'm not going to be doing retexturizations and things? I just want something that I can vacuum 
liquids with the meat or whatever in in sous vide cookette. How much did it uh, cost? It was five oh nine. I mean, it's and just, it's a drive pump. Yeah. It just seems to me to be an in-between cost. You know what I mean? Like I've never used it. Someday I'll get a hold of one, and I'll use it. Hervé, that I, you know, who, the, who I used to work with at the French Culinary Institute, they sent the FCI one or the ICC, whatever they're called now, and um, they sent him one, and he seems to like it. I've never used it. I mean, by all accounts, it's better than the food saver, but it's just in that, for me, in that uncomfortable in-between price zone. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, uh, but isn't the comfortable price zone like twenty five hundred? For like a decent, uh, like something that can actually pull ninety nine percent plus mm, vacuum. Nah, closer to fifteen. I think if you get the if you get the right deal. I haven't shopped one for, in a long time, but you can get one. I think with a decent pump for closer to fifteen. So in other words, it's like ninety nine bucks, five hundred bucks, or fifteen hundred bucks. Like those are your choices. Okay. And like so for okay. me, but maybe it's closer to two. I don't know. I have to look at uh, you know. Like, it depends on what kind of deal you can get. Uh, and you know. Philip Preston has a new one out, uh, new as of last year, but I still haven't tested it yet. Um, that is not the mini pack that he also sells. I have a mini pack and I like it, the small mini pack. Um, but you know, Philip Preston, uh, he released a, uh, I think a sub one thousand dollar unit or one that's right around a thousand bucks. But I've never used it. I, I don't know. The question is. Why do you want it? If it's just for cooking, right, most things can be done in zips. If it's for preservation, then sure, fine. They're, you know, they're going to be fine. Like, what, like, why is it you specifically want a vacuum? Well, okay. So um, I got a, one of the Sansair uh, immersion circulators. I used to work at a, at a kitchen shop. Uh, and so I, got a, I, I pretty much abused my discount there and got a bunch of kitchen gadgets. Um, and now I'm going to medical school, so I really want something that I can have in the fridge, uh, just ready to go and drop into a bath. Additionally, um, my brother and my dad had some of the food that I cooked, like I did 48 hour or 48, 72 hour short ribs, spare ribs that I, you know, then grilled and things like that, and they were just fascinated by how convenient it was. Right. But when I went over to my dad's house, I got him one, uh, a Sansair. He was uh, cooking, uh, like, each steak in, like, a cup and a half of oil. <laughs> uh, and so I really want to, like, I want to get him something that I can just give him the meat right. and have him drop it in and, and not waste, like, I think he went through a, a half liter of oil that day. Yeah, like, you, yeah. It, I mean, people tend to overestimate how much oil you need in the zippy by, like, a good amount. Like, you need... And I told him... Yeah, you only need enough to make up the best. What do you say? I told him about the washer. Well, I showed them water submersion technique, and he still did the like massive amounts of oil. But go ahead, sorry. Yeah, no, I'm saying like you know one thing to do is cut it down. But in in those circumstances, I've heard that 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 VP whatever it is works fine. Um, I've never had any personal experience with it. But you know, as a kind of a mid range vacuum, I hear it's a lot better than the food saver. Let's put it that way. Okay. Um, okay. But I don't I, like. I can't. You know. I won't recommend anything I haven't used personally. Do you know what I'm saying? But if I'm going to eventually upgrade to something that I can actually do retexturizations and and, and uh, things like that, infusions, whatever, I, I might as well just go all the way. Yeah. Or you could get this one and then give it to your dad. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, cut your teeth okay, on this excellent. one and then give it to your dad when uh, when the you know or I mean I don't know I don't know what your bu- your budgets are, but you know um, what I find in life is that if I really want a piece of equipment and then I buy the lesser version of that piece of equipment, I'm never happy and I end up always, I always, always end up getting the good one in the end and then the question is, will you be kicking yourself for having also purchased the lesser one? That's what you have to tell yourself. If you're anything like me, that's what will happen to you. That makes sense, yeah. Oh, okay. So, uh, do you have a little bit more time? Sorry. Sure. What's up? Okay, um, I was looking into cryo milling techniques because um, my girlfriend's gluten free, and we were trying to figure out good ways to do super fine flours without spending an arm, you know, like uh, it costing an arm and a leg. Right. And so uh, I, I don't in Indianapolis, it's very hard to source liquid nitrogen. Uh, I'm a chemist, and I have access to doors and things like that, so that's fine. But sourcing the actual liquid nitrogen and not stealing it from work is another uh, is another uh, situation. So. Um, can I do the same thing with dry ice, or am I going to run into a problem with the moisture content actually contained in the dry ice? Well, I mean, the problem with dry ice as opposed to liquid nitrogen is that, you know, it's not very good at contact 
you know, because you can't just submerge something in dry ice. You know what I'm saying? So right. you can get the stuff cold by putting it in a box, but then you have the additional problem of you you tend to get a lot of condensation unless the dry ice is unless unless you're storing something in a box with desiccant and then throwing a chunk of dry ice in and then letting it chill all the way down and then and then milling it, you tend to get a lot of condensation from the air onto anything that's freezing that hard that's not submerged. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, right, right. Which is one of the reasons why I don't really like using dry ice even for like distillation runs because I tend to condense a lot of stuff out of the air, whereas liquid nitrogen ends up being pretty clean for me that way because uh, you can do total submersion. But the, my... My real question is, is where are you trying to so- – like why is it hard to source where you are? Because that's something of general interest to me is uh, ease or lack of ease of sourcing liquid nitrogen. You tried – the welding shops won't, won't help you out? I actually uh, don't know – I guess I don't know where to start. Like I, I looked online and I typed in uh, liquid nitrogen Indianapolis, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's probably not a good way to do it. Yeah, no. I went to the, yeah. like, and I was looking for, for food-grade dry ice because uh, actually at work – uh, when we when I use dry ice in my cold finger, my rotovap, uh, there's just a bunch of stuff left behind. So you definitely need. Like, I mean, I think that that dry ice is kind of an exception. Uh, liquid nitrogen, I think, is pretty pure, uh, regardless from a welding shop. But I, I just, um, yeah, I need to I need to go and, and and investigate a little further. I think. Yeah, welding uh, shop, welding shop. And by the way, like, so you know the classic dry ice. Uh, dry ice acetone bath for rotovaps, I don't particularly like them because, um, especially in the kind of work that I'm doing, there's a lot of uh, water phase in the, in, in the stuff that I'm distilling, and um, the dry ice is so cold that unless I suck a partial vacuum before I chill down the cold finger, I get massive amounts of condensation in because the way that the Buki cold finger is designed, the vacuum takeoff line is right next to the uh, condenser finger, and so it unless you have a unless, if you chill it before you suck a vacuum, I, I get a lot of crystallization in the t- in the takeoff from my vac line, and then I occlude my vacuum, and then once that happens, all hell breaks loose, loose with your distillation, and it's very hard to get back on track without losing flavor if you're doing it for food, not for lab work. You know what I mean? Uh, right, right. And so <clears throat> liquid nitrogen, because it is actually somewhat less powerful, even though it's uh, a lot colder than dry ice, I find to be uh, easier. And if I make a mistake, I can rectify it quickly. And it's just not as messy. I've never, I've never liked working with dry ice in my rotovap um, very much. Um, but yeah, so I would go to a welding shop, and this, the secret – is that uh, you know at least around here the welding shops also sell to medical places, so they have you know theoretically for instance they have different grades of nitrous. So like the my local welding shop sells nitrous to doctors, uh, and and a, a lot of it isn't really the purity of the supplied gas. It's the care with which they purge the tanks and make sure that the lines that they use for transfer aren't contaminated with things like oils or or, or other nasty mm, things. Okay. So a lot of these guys will supply hospitals and clinics and things like this. And so, you know, I wouldn't worry, I wouldn't worry overly much. And every single chef in, in New York City gets from one of two welding shops, McKinney or T.W. Smith, one of those two, that I know of. Okay. Excellent. Oh, I'll, I'll check into it, and if I hear anything uh, about where you can get good liquid nitrogen in Indianapolis, I'll, I'll tweet it to you or something so that, so, so that people, other people who listen to you in Indianapolis can know. Cool. Um, uh, and and the last thing is, you said that you were a home brewer at one point. Oh, a long time ago, yeah. Um, did you ever do water adjustments? Uh, what do you mean? So, like, you would start with RO water, and then you would water adjust based on... Uh, oh, like no. Like Burton salts and stuff like that? No. I mean, uh, like, I, like uh, most of the stuff, most experiments that I was doing, uh, I, I was, you know... I kind of drew a base level of what I was going to like deal with. And so like I, um, my assumption was New York city tap water. And then, um, I was working mainly on, um, on, uh, mash temperatures times and, um, and like, you know, the, the, the grain bill that went into it and, you know, messing with OG and yeast and things like that. Like I never, I never got to the point where I was messing with the, uh, with like the salts and the chemistry of the, of the water. I was just using, uh, filtered 
you know, de- obviously dechlorinated, filtered New York City tap. But I never, I never deionized it or removed. It's fair. Our water is very, very soft here. Um, so you know, maybe it, maybe it wasn't ideal. I don't know. But then you know, that would have been something I probably would eventually have gotten into. But I, I you know, but by the, when my second son Dax was born, it was just like you know, it was just too much to obliterate the house because I was doing all grain stuff, and it really wipes an apartment out. I was in a very small apartment at the time. Really makes a mess in the apartment. Well, and see, I have I have half a garage that I have for brewing equipment, and it, it fills like the entire half a garage. So yeah, I completely understand. Yeah, <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, okay, I, I was just curious if you ever heard of anybody using modern assaults in it, like the calcium lactate and calcium lactate gluconate instead of the calcium chloride that people are using. But oh, gee, well, uh, I don't know. Well, someone, uh, someone, uh, you know, call or tweet in, and we'll, uh, we'll we'll talk about it, even though it's a little outside of my depth. Excellent. Sounds great. Thanks, Dave. All righty. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. All right, let's go to our first commercial break. Back with Nils Norin. program was brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards and Sons. Edwards Suriano hams are aged to perfection for no less than 400 days and hickory smoked to achieve a deep mahogany color. The Edwards name is well known for its world-class aged and cured meats. Their exclusive curing and aging recipe produces a unique flavor profile that enhances the quality characteristics of Berkshire pork. Optimum amounts of pure white fat marbling contribute to a flavor that's a delicate, perfect balance between sweet and salty. For more information, visit edwardsvaham.com. Jack, that's like the music from like when like the couple in that like in that like kind of southern country show like they're just about to get together, they're headed towards the barn, but nothing kind of raunchy's happening yet. That's what that music is. The pre-love music, yeah. It's the it's the it's the country western TV like movie pre-love music. Well, let me give a shout out. That's a band called The Hollows. They're local. They're uh, friends of the network. And all the music we play here is is local and, and you know sourced from friends. So if you're a listener of the show and you have a band or a music project, email us and especially, submit your music. Especially if you need some pre-love, because <laughs> yeah. that, that's gonna that's gonna seal the deal. If look, if you have a barn within about like a, a 200 meter radius of you with like a hayloft, like that's the music to crank. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. It's gonna happen. That's the that's the reignition of being near a barn. <laughs> Isn't it? It doesn't it hurt in hay though. I I don't know. Don't you think? I I didn't want to get that. It, it you know. In, I'm gonna guess yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there are different qualities of hay. Probably. But it's it's the proverbial roll in the hay. Mm-hmm. That's where you're hiding away from the 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 the, the farmer. Dad. Definitely dad. <laughs> well, presumably, you know, back in the day, if we're talking stereotypes. All right. <clears throat> uh, so, do we have uh, do we have Nils? Yeah, we do. All right, Nils. Hey, how you going? doing? Going well. So this is uh, Nils Norin, uh, you know, who uh, did uh, some of my best work with Nils Norin. Now uh, running uh, the uh, Marcus Samuelson Restaurant Group. Is that your official title? Running the Marcus Samuelson Restaurant Group. What is it like? What's your official title over there? Yeah, official title is uh, VP of Restaurant Operations. Yeah. And so, how yeah. many how many yeah. restaurants did you open this week? That was the question we had uh, earlier. I don't know about this week, but uh, this month, about uh, three. <laughs> For real? Yeah. How many different countries? Uh, two. <laughs> oh, no, actually actually three. Uh, Bermuda, Sweden, and Norway. So. 
Oh, which one weren't you counting before? Norway. Norway. Uh, Norway. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Norway. But, you know, for those of you that, I don't know, you know, Nils is a Swede, so they have that Swedish, you know, Norwegian stuff. Give me, give me, give me the Norwegian pronunciation of Mirvold. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So, Nils, I'm going to read this question, and then we're going to talk about it. But, uh, and then afterwards, we'll talk a little bit about sautéed vegetables, because I know you're very opinionated about the sautéed vegetables as well. Here's the question from Justin. Um, I have a question about bone marrow, specifically regarding preparation for service. I've just taken charge of the kitchen following the resignation of our executive chef. Resignation, huh? Yeah, yeah, whatever. Nils, we know how that goes, right? Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the resignation of our executive chef and have been tasked with creating a bar menu. I want to include roasted marrow bones but don't have a ton of experience with them, and neither do I. That's why we're calling Nils. Now, Nils, your big prep, you used to, uh, you used to serve a lot where you would like uh, slow braise them out and then use the fat in things, right? That was your favorite thing to do? Yeah. Yeah. It's delicious. Yeah. Uh, but what we, I forget what you used to mix it in with when you were done. Oh, tons of things. Uh, I mean, bone marrow in puree is delicious. By yeah, the but way. yeah, you used to. But, but it was what was it? It wasn't the celery root, was it? What you used to add? No, it to, it's sunchoke. Sunchoke in bone marrow. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, this is hilarious. Uh, Nastasha and Piper, back when Piper was working with us, they did a a slow cook on sunchokes and ate. All of the sunchokes slow, uh, quickly cooked. They only cooked it for like 15 minutes, and they ate like half a pound each. How hilarious is their gastrointestinal distress? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's not a great idea. <laughs> yeah, so Nils would like render out the marrow. Now I remember it. He would submerge the sunchokes in and cook, cook them low and slow, long time, to turn the stuff into inulin so that it's not a huge fart bomb. But, you know, Stas never asked me before she cooked the stuff out, whatever. And then, Nils, I don't know if I told you this, but she then did the same thing on purpose and served it to a friend and his girlfriend at a picnic, and she and Piper did not eat it and just watched them eat all the sunchokes while they ate around them. They did a beef and sunchoke, like, cold picnic salad and did it to them and didn't warn them. I think that's kind of not cool. What do you think? So they, I guess they're not friends anymore. No, they are. They, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're also kind of low-quality people, so anyway. <clears throat> okay. So, uh, uh, anyway, uh, I, so we're back to the bone marrow question. I follow the general rule of soaking the bone marrow in uh, the bones in cold salt water with multiple water changes, but most recipes I found. And do you agree with that? The multiple soak. Yeah, I mean, you just want to get the blood off, right? Because it's gross. That's yeah. why. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, you know, like, how long do you have to do it to get them like really creamy? To get them, to roast them? No, 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 the, to get all the blood out. Like, how long do you usually uh, let them? I mean, I don't know. It's a couple of hours usually is enough. Yeah, that's what I figured. Uh, but most recipes I've found suggest roasting the bones for around 20 minutes at 450 uh, in the Fahrenheit, which is, what is that? That's like 220 or something like that? Yeah. Something, yeah. yeah. Uh, however, I need a much quicker pickup. Is this something I can safely par cook with good results, or do you know any techniques for a faster pickup? I'm planning on using three-inch bones split lengthwise and uh, would like to be able to send them out in under 10 minutes. I do have a circulator, and I'm eagerly awaiting the arrival of my Searsall. Thanks for all you do. Keep it coming. I mean, I would probably pop them, separate them, use the I – mean, are you a believer in, like, bones for plating versus the bones they come in, or would you leave them in the bones? Or would you pop them out and then cook them separately and then lay them in the bones for service? No, I would I would keep them in the box. Why why add an extra step when that's you don't true. need to? That's true. That's true. So what would you do for the par cook? I was just thinking because the bones you can't really vac a, that kind of a bone down because they're so porous. You know what I mean? Or would you just c- no. c- keep them in like a sea vac? Like what would you what would you do for par cooking I mean, on that thing? So there are two scenarios. If I would do that rooster, which I have a sea vac, I would keep them next to my fried chicken in the sea vac, and then and I think they're going to be perfect. That's what one forty. And then put them in the salamander or the, your your turbo uh, torch. Uh, or if you do them in a Ziploc bag in in the circulator, that probably works well too. And you just use them in some rendered in some rendered keep keep the marrow in rendered marrow and just reuse it a bunch. Yeah, I mean keep the put the whole bone right. Right. Figure out what the right temperature is, which I'm not sure. But if you're going to do it next to the chicken, what do you keep your chicken at, 60? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a little over. Uh, yeah. It's like, what do you keep at? 
Oh, you you, you keep it at the cook temperature. One forty-five. Yeah. Okay. So you 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 hot hold it at the cook temperature. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, yeah, but that, that, that's going to be fine. It's not going to – I don't think it's going to break the structure down at those temperatures. I think you have to get it hotter to break the structure down, don't you? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I mean I think it's going to hold. I think it's going to be fine. And then like a quick flash off on the, with the hottest thing that you own, and I think it's going to be good. It won't have the look of a roasted bone on the outside though, it's just on the top where you sear it off. You think that's a problem or no? No, I don't – no, I mean you could. But, I mean no, I think it's fine if you do it on the top because – what does it matter? What does the other roasting do? Well, well it, it smells good. Yeah, and it, it also de- it depends on how clean you've gotten the bone beforehand. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. If, so, like you can do a worse job cleaning the bone if you're going to roast the hell out of it because no one minds a little piece of like like skin or a silver skin or meat stuck to a bone that's if it's roasted to hell. But nobody wants like a blonde looking piece of junk stuck to the outside of their bone. You know what I mean? No, that's true. So you clean. You got to clean it. Yeah, but if you clean it, but you pick up it's going to be fast. Oh, you pick like yeah. Two minutes, two minutes and it's out. Yeah, yeah, and like you know, for something like that, like hopefully you have like a deck broiler or a sally. I think a sally is good because you're not worried about overcooking it so much. And so, like even better than a searzol or something like that, I think is going to be. I mean, I don't think it's going to bleed out too much on a sally if you have it, it right in the sweet spot. Searzol will work, obviously. No. But I don't think it's going to no. bleed out too much in a sally. You know what I mean? No, I don't think so. Yeah. I think it'd be fine. And, uh, all right, so then, uh, and it probably, a bone, I'm, I'm looking at my hands at the bone, with, uh, I think it'll probably be ready to serve within, like, 40 minutes, four zero minutes, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but you might as well put it in. An hour before, because nothing's going to happen. Once it oh, yeah. Temperature, it does. Right? Yeah, but I'm saying, like, minimum 40 minutes, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean because remember it's only cooking through the one side because the it's not going to heat up that fast through the bone. But I think once it's in there, it could stay in there like probably all of service. I mean, I've never done it, yeah. but I think it could probably stay in there all of service. I, I would bet it can. Yeah, the only thing I'd be worried about is if you cool it and reheat it, it might get like oxidized. I wouldn't necessarily do that unless it's in a bag enclosed. But um, yeah, yeah, because, but whatever. I think it would work. Um, you know what I like on my bone marrow? I like parsley on my bone marrow. You like chopped up parsley on your bone marrow, Nils? Parsley is delicious yeah. and salt. And yeah, and I, I also like a little bit of lemon zest, but that's me. Uh, okay, so then we had another question. Uh, can you run through any tips for excellent sautéed uh, vegetables? And our first tip was don't sauté zucchini. Yeah. Because it's horrible. Yeah. I mean, the, the only way you're going to do it is if you gorge them, right? You take some of the the uh, water out of it, right? Then then they can be okay. Yeah, yeah. But let me ask you this: If you could have a sautéed carrot or a sautéed uh, or a sautéed piece of zucchini, would you ever choose a zucchini? Nope. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. I mean, it's like straight up, you know. I think, look, I think by and large, and we already talked about, uh, you know, before you were on, we talked about, you know, what we used to do with the, with the mushrooms. Mushrooms are a special case because they're not a, a veg, they're not a vegetable, they're a fungus. They break down differently. So they, they maintain their structure even over a long cooking period, which is why you can cook them nicely uh, in, in a saute without, without them losing structure and you can get a nice crust on the outside and you can get the water balance right. Very difficult to do this with spongy vegetables in general, right? When you say so, Nils, like zucchini, yeah, it is. eggplant. That's, that's, that's why carrots works great. Yeah. But the zucchini doesn't. No, no. I mean, but like also like I'm not a huge fan of like a sauteed eggplant. You? No. The, the only way I like my eggplant, if they're really cooked through. If they're not cooked through, it tastes like a hay to me. Tastes like, like we're a, talking about hay before, but ta- not in a good way. T- tastes like a what? Your phone fuzzed for a second. Yeah, but it, it, it just tastes like hay if they're not cooked through. So again, if you want to gorge them, uh, you know, and then them, it might work. But. Yeah, or like we used to do in the vacuum or like people who yeah. microwave them. But the issue is is the water con- – see, zucchini and eggplant both suffer from the problem – like a two-part problem. They're spongy 
like right out of the gate, they're spongy. So they're going to absorb oil. And then most people, when they're sautéing, they're so worried about the temperature dropping too low that they overheat the oil, and the oil takes on those fishy burnt aromas, which I hate, right? Like unless you're doing wok cooking and you like really do it right, like the overcooked oil on a sauté, I think, smells nasty. What do you think, Nils? Well, yeah, I think you know what I think. Yeah, all right. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. That's why we, you know, we didn't used to do a lot of... uh, Zucchini or eggplant. Right, right. So it's spongy to get go, and then also anything that's not sponge is water. <laughs> so it's like yeah. it's, you can't win. You know what I mean? Like they have very little structure. So I mean, I think those things are much better. All those things are much better roasted, where you can sit there and let the like vapor. Although not zucchini, but eggplant. Better, you know, let 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 all the water get out of it or whatever. But th- those are my tips. Choose the right vegetables. Do you have any like big tips for like sautéing? I, I think like if you're sautéing a carrot, just don't do don't do a bad job. You know, I think is like the big tip. I always cheat. I always throw uh, a little bit of water in. Uh, I always cheat. Throw the water in the pan. Let it let it flash off, par cook, and then saute after the water evaporates. But is that considered a, a, like a, a jerk's technique? I mean, in a restaurant you wouldn't do that, but I mean at home. No, I mean you can, or you just saute them until you have the right color, and then you're finishing off them in the oven. No, nah, yeah, they could do that too. That's probably better because you're not absorbing any water. You probably keep a more dense. Uh, I mean, yeah. You know, you probably keep a more you get get a more dense flavor. Saute them for color and then finish them in a not too hot oven. Like three fifty or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just throw the pan in the oven, right? Just saute it till you get the color you like. Throw the pan in the oven and walk away. Just be aware that you might take a while for it to finish off in the oven. Yeah, it might, depending on how big they are. Yeah, but yeah. It's, it's going to be fine on that end. You can then you can park with them and finishing off later. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Um, all right. So uh, I think uh, Jack's going to kick us off the off the radio pretty soon. I have a couple of questions. By the way, Eric Michael Morris was, wrote in last week about sugar free gelato. Didn't didn't clarify what he wants, so we can't uh, answer that. Uh, and then the rest of the stuff we can get to next time. So anything anything good going on, Nils, in the cooking world? Come up with any new uh, new flavors, new ideas you want to talk about on the radio show? Uh, nothing that comes to mind yet. But I will have some soon, though. I'm actually working on some stuff, but it's too early. Yeah. Disclose them. All right. Well, well, why don't you come back in person sometime? Hang out on the radio show. You ever, you ever uh, free on the Tuesdays around twelve? Yeah, for sure. All right, cool. And uh, Jack, by the way, tells me that we might be switching our times uh, next next season, whatever a season is. I have no idea what a season is, but uh, we might be switching our times up a little bit. But Nils, thanks for coming and answering all of our bone marrow questions. We'll see you all next time on Cooking Issues. <laughs> listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 